The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. <laughs> Morning, church. What's going on out there, Heritage? Man, somebody's returned some books up here. We're going to have to get a new cart. That's my standing space. But uh, we'll move these around. Um, Hey, grab your Bibles if you would and turn to Colossians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, if you would just take your hand, stick it up in the air, wave it around as if you had no concerns, and someone, all the rap fans chuckle, um, someone will uh, make sure that you get one. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 this morning. Um, again, too, um, we're getting a little packed out here at the old 1030 thing, right? Um, it, you guys should know we have an 830 service with, fre- with fresher donuts and less stale jokes as well. So uh, you might want to, uh, in all honesty, though, it, it is a way for some of you that might to be able to serve the rest of the body better by even just making room for those who should come. So you might consider that 830 service and then you get to lunch first. Um, a couple of announcements while you're turning there. First of all, you guys know we give books away here all the time. Usually, I can say that I have read the book that we give away. I cannot say that today. It's thick and had no pictures. So um, I haven't read this one. Um, but it's by Tim Keller, so it's legendary just by default. You know what I mean? Um, so um, anyway, this is a book by Tim Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, um, which might be really applicable for some people in here. So even if you are not able to beat the bum rush that comes up when Jeff's praying to get your copy of the book, you uh, that one's already gone. My goodness. Like, <laughs> these books get raptured. Anyway, um, um, that it might be a really, really good resource for you. A couple of announcements. Heritage Basics class is coming up this Saturday at 9 a.m., correct? Yes. Um, if you are interested in, would like more information about, or would like to be a covenant member here at Heritage Christian Fellowship, um, this class is sort of a prerequisite, or literally a prerequisite, for covenant membership here at Heritage. Um, it's a chance for me to get to sit down with you for a couple hours and just talk about um, what our church is all about, about what our theology is, about what our leadership structure is like, um, about all of those kind of things, as well as what covenant membership is, why we have it, what the benefits of it are, and all those sorts of things, and really just to get to know you and be able to field questions and all that kind of stuff. So, um, Heritage Basics class is coming up this Saturday at 9 a.m. You can sign up online at heritagefellowship.net or you can probably, I'm sure, stop by the Connect desk on your way out and uh, let those guys know that you're going to be coming. Would love to be able to meet with you. And if you're kind of on the fence, like what is this whole idea of membership and why should a church even have it and what's the point of all that? Um, I'd like to direct you uh, almost a year ago on uh, January 24th of last year. So January 24th, 2016, Um, We were in the middle of a series that we did on what is a healthy church. Um, And there was a teaching that I gave that Sunday called um, A Healthy Church Has Healthy Members. And we talked about the idea of um, just really what it's like to be part of a church, not an attendee, but part of, grafted into the body of Christ. We talked about covenant membership here at Heritage, why we have it, what it looks like, and all those sorts of things. So I would encourage you to go back and uh, take that teaching in, jot that down, January 24th, A Healthy Church Has Healthy Members, and listen to that. And then if you're interested, please come join us on Saturday morning. 
Um, also, if you are a covenant member here at Heritage, um, when we emailed you the financial statement for 2016 that kind of had the, the whole financial report, the pie charts and all that kind of stuff on it, um, there was also a link in that email that some of you, um, I, I've noticed some people anyway, have missed um, where you can renew your covenant membership here at Heritage. So you might go back and look at that. If you didn't get that, please let us know. I know some people... Um, it ended up in your spam folder, and I don't necessarily blame you for spamming Heritage Christian Fellowship or putting us in your spam folder, but that one you might actually need. So um, if you didn't get that email, please let us know, um, and we'll make sure that we get that to you. Also, just this is a save the date kind of a thing, or are there signups for this? Are there signups for this, Sam, the volunteer training thing, or do you just come? Anybody know? There are signups. Okay, so on March 4th, Volunteer Training Day um, here at the Hub. This is, we, we put a lot into this. It's kind of a big deal. Um, if you're currently serving anywhere at Heritage or interested in serving anywhere at Heritage, we do a big kind of pep rally, fun games, interviews, all kinds of stuff, and then breakout sessions for each of the different areas where um, you can serve here at Heritage for training and orientation and things like that. So um, if you are currently serving or interested, this is for you. It's on March 4th from 9 to 11. So go ahead and mark your calendar, and I'm guessing sign up online or at the Connect Center. That would be great. Um, anyway, that's good. The rest of you, if you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Colossians 2, which you already did because I already told you that. And you know that. Duh. Stand up with me and let us read Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Now, we're, I, I have to confess, I lied to you. So I'd like to repent. I told you a couple of weeks ago that our pace through Colossians was going to start picking up. You guys remember that? It's not true. It's not true. Last week was two verses. Today, one. So we're going the wrong direction. But I have hope that maybe next week we'll get there. But this week, it's only going to be one. However, because of the text that it's in, um, we don't like to take things out of context. We want to consider complete thoughts. And so we're going to read together starting in verse 6 through verse 15. Colossians chapter 2 says this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity to come before you, to be able to open up your word. It's a privilege we, we so easily take for granted. 
Not, not only that we have access to and the ability to study the word of the creator, the sovereign king of all the universe, but that as we do it, we just discover how much you love us, how much you care for us, how much you want good for us, how much you want to nurture and grow us, protect us, lead us, and change us into more and more like you. So we thank you for that privilege. I pray, God, this morning that your spirit would move in this place, that you would awaken hearts and affections to you, that you would convict and comfort as you see fit, as the needs may be, and that, God, we would not be tempted to lord over your word, but that this text might have its way with us, that we might be more like you when we leave, or that your will would be accomplished in heritage as it is in heaven. So, Lord, this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. It's not the most fun teaching that I do, um, but it's a super important one. Um, there, there's a guy that many of you guys may know uh, by name. His name's Matt Chandler. He's a, a pastor of the Village Church down in uh, Dallas, Texas. And um, he's the president of the Acts 29 Network, which our church is a part of. And um, for all intents and purposes, may be one of the best Bible teachers out there. If you're looking for a good podcast, man, start there. I believe you'll be blessed. Um, he's a ferocious gospel man. Um, but he did a teaching at a conference not long ago where he was talking about a different conference. He, so he was at a pastor's conference, we're all gathered together, and he's teaching us, but he was talking about a different one he was at, and he was going to be the next guy up to teach, and so he's sitting there in the audience, and there was a different guy up there teaching, he didn't name the guy's name, but someone's up there on stage, and they were teaching, and they were doing this teaching that he said he found really, really captivating, where they were talking about the idea of a gardener versus a guardian. He was saying there's two different kinds of Christians, there's guardians and there's gardeners, and so the first the guy talks about is the idea of a guardian. And he said the guardian's like the crusty old man at the gate that's just standing there at the gated in, the fence of the garden there at the gate. And he's just pointing his finger saying, you're in, you're in, you're out, you're out. And he's just all about doctrine and legalism and rules and regimen. And he's just protecting the garden. He's not even inviting anyone in. He's just protect everything. That's not true. That's not true. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Out, out, out. Kind of a discernment ministry kind of thing. And uh, there's no possible way to make that sound good, right? And then he's like, then there's the gardener. And he starts talking about the gardener and he's like, man, the gardener is the guy that gets in there and, and he's in there working with the soil with his hands and he's watering and he's nurturing and, and, and he's watching that plant and helping that plant grow and grow. And then that plant's starting to produce fruit and, and Chandler's sitting there thinking like, man, that's, of course that's the one that I would want to be, right? Just to be able to just love on people and watch them grow. Now it's a flawed analogy because gardeners weed out also but we'll skip that for the moment and he's just like this is what we want to do man I want to be that guy I want to garden I want to nurture I want to be able to love everybody and he was just really kind of caught up in this teaching and just feeling the move in that moment and then the pastor teaching goes on to say now he starts talking about the gospel and how you use the gospel to to nurture and grow people and he goes now unfortunately I can't define the gospel for you the gospel can only be defined in individual community at which point Chandler says I snapped out of it and was like that's why we need a guardian right there <laughs> because of that nonsense 
something that has been clearly defined in the scriptures for 2,000 years, has now been filtered through our own modern um, relativism that says, well, whatever the gospel is for you is for you, and whatever the gospel is for me, but we can't be a part of that. There tends to be sort of a false dichotomy between those two roles. And granted, those are caricatures on polar ends of the spectrum for sure. But those two things often get played against each other. Those that are so concerned about truth and doctrine and they're just regimented about this and then as if the polar opposite to right doctrine is just love apart from doctrine. Just love people and care for people and they're talking about Jesus, that's good enough. Leave it alone and kind of leaving those things there. I can remember there was a guy, some of you guys may remember this name, maybe not, if, if not, that's good, although we'll probably make him trending in the valley. Apparently, everyone started Googling him when I mentioned him last service. But um, his name was Todd Bentley. And Todd Bentley was part of a huge tent revival that took place, I don't know, nine, ten years ago in Lakeland, Florida, um, which is kind of right out right between Tampa and Orlando. Um, and it started as this little kind of uber Pentecostal rival, uh, um, revival. And this guy, like he, he's definitely on the hyper Pentecostal, hyper charismatic, laughing in the spirit, like all sorts of things that I would certainly define as weirdness, but that's a whole another teaching for another time. He's kind of in that. He's like full on tatted up tattoos up the neck, just not, like not your normal preacher doing not your normal things. And, and he's down there and this revival breaks out um, and it, it became huge. I mean, there was like 5,000 people a day going to this thing, and they would meet every single day this was going on. And it became such a big deal. I know of two different churches in our valley area here who sent representatives from here to that church to, quote unquote, bring back the fire from that revival to come back. The, the problem is, Todd Bentley, it's not a tattoo issue. It's not that he doesn't look like the normal pastors. None He's a wolf. And dude's just a straight up crook. Like, I mean, his, his uh, um, rap sheet, his history, his theology, his, all of those things is readily available online, especially in our day and age. I mean, he once punched an old woman in the face and then turned around and said, Jesus told him to do it. Um, in the middle of the revival, he actually kicked his wife out of the house, had an affair with another woman, divorced his wife, took the woman who was one of the organizers of the actual revival, brought her into his home, married her, um, and then had to take a seat. Someone came in and said that was wrong, and they benched him, and then the revival started to die down, and when they realized money was drying out, they were like, restored him, he's good, and like two months later or whatever, brought him back in and he was preaching again. Um, praise God, over time, that eventually just fizzled out and the Lord sort of took care of that, but this guy still continues to do ministry, just not on that scale to this day. And a couple of years ago, he came to Medford, and I remember at the time, I was on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook anymore, and you know why? And this one's for free. Life is better without Facebook. That's free. Write it down, ponder it, pray about it. I assure you, I find myself getting stressed out hearing about other people's Facebook fights. It's just totally unnecessary. So anyway, I'm on Facebook at the time and I start seeing people from even my church, from this church, from Heritage that were at the time posting like, hey, there's this revival coming up. We should check this thing out. And it's Todd Bentley. And so I'm seeing this going on and I know this guy's history. I'd even seen, they made documentaries about this guy in this revival. Like I knew who this guy is. And so I went in there and I'm like, guys, 
We should not be supporting this. We should not be attending. We should not be appropriate. Or, or, um, what's the word? Uh, promoting it. We should not be doing any of that. This guy's a wolf, man. We shouldn't have anything to do with that. And I'm telling you, this one gal in particular wrote me and she lit me up. Woo! Lit me up. And she went on and on and on about, hey, it is not our job to come in and point fingers about other brothers and sisters in Christ, which I promptly corrected by saying, I'm not pointing at a brother, I'm pointing at a wolf. Like, that's what I'm trying to do. But, 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 but what I was told by her, and I've heard this by so many other people, and, and it may be some of our tendencies, that it, it's supremely unchristian to be that person that's pointing our finger, especially, man, if they're talking about Jesus, even if they're mistaken, or if there's some element of truth, or if there's some element of goodness in that, we, gotta give, we, we give certain things a pass, and we just go, God's going to sort all this stuff out when we get to heaven. Now, I, you guys know, those of you that have been with us for a while, um, we've talked about things we die for, and things we divide over, and all this kind of stuff, and you know my list of things we divide over is small, but it's the gospel essentials. And so I'm not talking about discernment ministry that's like, they only do hymns, that's a real church, or any of that kind of stuff. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you're like, that is not only not accurate gospel, that's anti-gospel that's happening there. And here are people that are sheep that are being fleeced by this guy who is consuming from the body of Christ instead of being the gardener that's nurturing the body of Christ. And, and so as shepherds, it's our responsibility to separate sheep and wolves. You feed and nurture sheep and you shoot wolves. That's our job. Southern Oregon, you got to be careful with that analogy though, right? Some of you guys are in there right now like, right, where's he at, Jeff? Just point him. We'll make this service short. <laughs> this is the reality. And, and this is what Paul is talking to the Colossian people about in this letter to the Colossians. There are false teachers that are threatening the doctrine, the health, the security, the peace of the people in this church. And so Paul is writing an entire letter to deal with this. It's, it's actually very Christian to recognize and point out a false doctrine that's leading people to imprisonment instead of the reality of the gospel that leads people to freedom in Christ. Paul names people by name all the time in the scriptures. And that's what Paul's doing in this letter. In fact, if you guys remember a few weeks ago, let's look back and look at verse four, where it started out. Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Now, Paul has just gone through chapter one and the first part of chapter two of Colossians, um, just talking about the majesty of Jesus that Jesus holds all things together. He's before all things. He's the ruler of all things. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our savior and our friend, our, our, our joint heir, but he is also our God and our Lord and he is just extolling the beauty of Christ and just talking about how incredible he is. And then he comes into chapter two and he's talking about the understanding of how he wants this church to be united together and growing together and rooted together in this community where they're they're thriving and doing well and united. And he says in verse four, and I'm saying this so that no one may delude you with what kind of argument? Plausible arguments. It means that there's things that are going to come in at times into the church that sound good. They sound legit. It sounds Christian. And that, that should just make sense because you only get so far with crazy. You certainly don't start with crazy. 
You know what I'm talking about? Not too many cult leaders go, I'm starting a new cult, and on day one, here's arsenic Kool-Aid we're all going to drink. No, they build to that over time, right? You got to build some momentum. You got to get a crowd. You're going somewhere. You throw in the track suits about halfway, right? You don't come in on day one and be like, hey, here's what we're doing now. We're going to all shave our heads, burn all the money we had, and I've made an idol out of macaroni noodles that we're now going to worship. Like you would hear that and go, that's crazy. But there's a lot of times that we hear about cults and the beliefs and practices that they bought into. And you go, how did that happen? And it's amazing how many times cults from the Wacos of the world to the wackos of the world. I don't know know how you'd say it different, but how many of them, it started off with like an element of truth. A lot of people got into those things thinking they were joining just a church just like anyone else. And they were completely led astray through arguments that sound right. And that should make sense to us if we know our Bible. Because what does the Bible say about Satan? He masquerades as an angel of light. It means it looks good. That means sometimes he sounds Christian. The first thing we learn about him when he comes to tempt Adam and Eve in the garden, it says that the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts that God had created. We know right away he's cunning and he's smart and he's tricky. And he doesn't come in and trick them with some weird, crazy cult belief. He comes in using God's word and saying things that are tempting but tickling their ears in a certain way, but against what God had already taught them. And so Paul's saying, I don't want anyone to come in with these sorts of arguments and to be able to lead you astray. I want you, the Colossian people, to be so rooted in your faith and so understanding of Jesus specifically, who he is, what he's done, and what that means to us, that when these other arguments come in, you're just going to know something's not right here. This is what he's teaching them. And so he goes on to say for our text today in verse 6, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We talked about that last week, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We talked about that last week. It's not just that as you've received him into your heart, walk in it that way. It's no, all of these teachings that you have learned, everything you've learned about Jesus from what he's done for you, the majesty and the power, the fact that he is Lord, he is the ruler, he's the king, all of these things be established and rooted and walk in this, he's calling them to. And then he says in verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul said, I'm writing this stuff so you don't get fooled by these other arguments. And so see to it that no one, and then the word he actually uses is, takes you captive or makes you a slave, carries you away from what you were walking in before and now has put a different burden on you that is now affecting the way that you live. You have become now enslaved to a different type of thinking. And it's pretty subtle. It can happen really, really easily. Like, let me, let me give you an example of how something so simple can lead us away from the liberty to walk in obedience to Jesus Christ, our King, and affect us in living in a completely different way. Um, in our culture right now, when you start to talk about Christianity and its truth claims, um, and about specifically if you're getting into areas of morality, Christian living, design, things like that, 
when you start to push against people's lifestyles, you tend to hear the same sorts of arguments coming back as reasons why um, we can't really do that anymore in our day and age, in the world that we live in now. And, and there's two primary ones that will come out. They may be phrased in different ways, but the belief systems that are part of them are readily apparent all the time when you're dealing with lifestyle issues, from sexuality to whatever. Um, the first one is, is they would tell Christians, look, doctrine, doctrine doesn't matter. You, you can't come with doctrine. You can't stand on doctrine. Doctrine doesn't matter. Besides, and now we're talking about within the church, besides, everyone's on their own journey. People are on their own journey. They're in different places with their walk. They're in different places with God. And what we need to do is stop that guardian mentality, back off of that sort of realization, and just be gracious and loving with people, and, and just assume that we're all going to the same destination, and just let God deal with that. That just let everybody kind of go on their own personal journey. And it, that, makes it, that makes your faith and issues of faith very personal and kind of nobody else's business. And then the other part of that is the idea that truth is relative. The idea that says, hey, no one has a claim on what is truth. That no one has a total claim of all is truth. That is highly promoted. That's part of postmodern thought that is out there everywhere. It is wrong for anyone to claim a truth doctrine that says this is true and this is not because, man, all that stuff's so personal, so subjective, and honestly, like, no one has a truth claim, which is funny because that's a truth claim. What you're saying is your stuff's not all right. No one can say that, but the one part of truth that I have that is right is that your truth is not all truth. And so it's, a, it's not fair to Christianity or really to any of the other religions that claim dogmatic truth claims to do that because you're actually doing to that religion what you're angry at that religion for then in turn doing. But it's what we do. And so how does that actually play out? When you're talking about this, how does that take us captive? I know that's out there, that's what we face, but how can that actually take us captive? Well, here's the deal. If you are not securely planted on Jesus... If you are not confident about his lordship and about our place in his kingdom as opposed to any place in any other kingdom, then when it comes to things like the Great Commission, you're going to be led into captivity of the thoughts of the world. What I mean by that is this. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave the church a commission. He said, go into the world and tell everyone about me, making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey all my teachings. That's what Jesus, that is the great commission. Um, we, we tend to just pigeonhole that into spread the gospel all over the world. But Jesus put a much bigger scope on that. He said, make disciples and teach them to be obedient to all things. And so that's the command Jesus gave to the church when he ascended into heaven. That's a command from our king, right? And then we know that the commands of our king are to lead us into liberty and into fruition in his kingdom. But what happens is, is that mentality kicks in in our Western thought and we start going, but it's personal and where they are and where I am are two different places. And it's, I don't know that it's my right to come in and point out. Now, I'm not talking about watchdog march around with God hates fag signs at funerals. Okay. I'm not talking about, that's cult in my opinion. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about just the simple fact and joy and obedience to God in sharing the gospel with people because we're afraid they're going to be offended because we've intruded into their personal space. When we do that, we have been carried into captivity away from what God has actually called us to do. 
And we're now living enslaved, if you will, to the principles of the world that say that's nobody else's business. You need to just sort of leave them alone. And it doesn't take much study of the word of God to start to realize that, man, God's commands lead us to peace. And we go, but it just feels rude. It feels offensive. Okay. If you go to lunch after church today and you go out to whatever restaurant it is you're going to go to, let's say you walked up to a total, complete stranger right there in the restaurant. You walked up to them, looked them right in the eyes. You put your hand behind their head. You put your other hand, total stranger, on their jaw. You open your mouth and right there on their mouth. Total stranger. That's rude, church. Okay? If you do that, please don't tell them you go to Heritage. Okay? Please, please tell them you're Mormon or something. Just don't tell them you go to Heritage. But I'm um, kidding. I have friends. Never mind. Anyway. That's rude, unless they're dying. Unless they're dying. If the person's lying on the floor unconscious, gasping, not even gasping, heart stopped dying, that is life-giving to do that. And while it may not be a perfect parallel, I'll tell you this. To pigeonhole the sharing of the gospel with those whose lifestyles may disagree with it out of fear of offending them is buying into a world system because the Bible actually tells us they're dying. And you have the breath of life in terms of Jesus Christ himself that you can offer to these people that are dying. And that there's joy in that. And there's liberty and freedom in living according to God's kingdom and God's rule. And God would say, walk in that. Don't walk into these other belief systems that are out there. It's going to lead you in prison. You're not going to be able to fulfill what you were designed to fulfill. You're not going to be able to fulfill what I've called you to live. You're going to live according to them. That's imprisoning. Don't do that, church. Do what we've been called to do, what we've been created to do. Now, here's the thing. We're not talking about out there today. Let's consider what Paul goes on to say. Paul goes on to talk about these teachings that are dangerous, that can imprison us. And he gives us some characteristics of what these sorts of teachings and belief systems look like. In the same verse, we're staying in verse 8 today in case I didn't clarify. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, and according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So we're going to be spending today the vast majority of our time looking at the negative, if you will, looking at the things Paul's warning us about. And then next week, as the text goes on, he's going to be upholding something much, much bigger. So track with me on that, and let's actually look at the things that Paul wants the church to be aware of. The first thing is philosophy. Now, I, when I was in college, I went to um, my freshman year and then several years after that, I took lots of different philosophy classes actually when I was in college. And I, I loved the philosophy classes I went to. I found them really, really interesting. They brought up questions that either questions I had wrestled with, but I felt because of the, the uh, legalistic religious background that I came from, I wasn't allowed to ask some of those questions. And so there was a part of me um, that almost felt uh, like there was confirmation in here, like, hey, I'm not the only one that wrestles with this kind of stuff. Um, the difference was, though, that the philosophy classes that I was taking, and this is kind of what philosophy tends to mean to us today in our current context, you can really define it more as questions, not answers. 
So when I went into a philosophy class, um, you basically spent a lot of time questioning everything. Why do we believe this? Why do we subscribe to that? Why would you believe this? And all of that sort of stuff. What didn't happen, and this is a big fault with the postmodern movement that's out there, it stirs up questions and everything. So your foundation gets really rocked, but it doesn't have anything to bring in for you to actually stand on. And, and that's really what happened to me. So my faith when I was in college got rocked in a lot of ways early on. I was questioning all sorts of things um, when I was in there. And so this is kind of what happened. I was in a class, think of it, I'm, I'm a freshman in college. Um, I'm going to a school that we're paying thousands of dollars for these guys to teach us. I'm not in mom and dad's home anymore. So I'm in a new authority structure and this new teaching that's coming at me that I'm paying to come at me. It suddenly it's like, man, I, what do I do with this? And I, I didn't really know. I had to wrestle with that. Um, there, there's a lot of people now, um, as, we've, as we've seen how many young people go through what I went through, but end up walking away from their faith. So many young people growing up in the church, they go to youth groups, they do all that kind of stuff. And then as they grow, they go to college and they end up walking away from their faith and come out in, in many cases agnostic or, um, or atheist. And so there's a lot of study that's been done trying to figure out what that is. And, and probably the best, whether it's theory, fact, I, I'm not totally sure, but the best explanation I've seen, and it's something that we really try to, um, um, try to, try to use and, and as motivation and, and for strategy in for everything from youth group to children's ministry here at Heritage, it, it has to do with this idea of authority because that's what Paul's talking about. When Paul says the word philosophy, for us, it's like questions, but, but what he's talking about here, the word philosophy was sort of, um, it, it was a authoritative teaching system. So if you're a teacher, a rabbi, a philosopher, whatever, your philosophy was not just like theoretical questions. This was your dogma. This was your truth. It was an authoritative teaching system. And Paul's saying, be careful these authoritative teachings that come your way. And so, so this is how this lays out. When I'm a kid, I'm growing up in church and I lived in the Christian bubble. And so I, we were at church every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. I'm telling you, my parents, it's almost like they had some sort of sensor or an app before there were such things as apps. And they knew that the church doors had just been unlocked and they were like, we got to be there now. I mean, if the janitor is unlocking the door at Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., we're there. We're showing up. Like, that's, that was my upbringing. I knew that church as well as I knew my house. And so this is kind of the way I grew up. That Christian bubble, and, and that's the, that was my world. Then I go to college. And let's just do a quick little survey here. How many of you guys have kids in our children's wing somewhere out there, or youth group, whichever the one in case, right now? They're here right now. Raise your hand. Okay, I'm just curious, out of all of you people who raised your hand, how many of your kids actually tugged on your shirt sleeve or tapped your forehead as you were asleep in bed and said, Dad, wake up, I want to go to church? Oh, there's a couple. You win at parenting. And you will now be teaching our next parenting workshop here in about six weeks. All right, the Googliottas, we're on it. Thank you. Um, odds are most of them, not at all. And, and if you were like me growing up, I'd be much more happier in pajamas watching cartoons this morning. But I went to church every time the doors opened because mom and dad went to church every time the doors were opened and they were the authority. Amen? Mom and dad took me to church. I didn't have a say in it. They were the ones that decided when I go to church. So all through my upbringing, 
All of my experience with my faith and my understanding of Jesus and all those things was based primarily around an authority structure. I'm Christian because mom and dad are Christian. I go to church because mom and dad go to church. All of that. Well, then when you go to college, things change. Because now I've stepped outside of the authority structure that I was raised in, and now the authority structure is different. I have peer groups around me that are an authority that are speaking truths into my life. I have professors that I'm paying to speak truths into my life, and they're authorities. Like, they're going to grade my stuff. They're going to tell me when I write, they're going to tell me what's right and wrong. And so now I'm in a completely different authority structure, and I was rocked. What they tell us now, as people have studied this and looking at this, and this makes total sense to me, our goal as parents should not be to insulate our kids in this Christian bubble because the bubble doesn't go with them to college the vast majority of the time or to the workforce or to the military or whatever it is. Instead of insulating them and putting them in this perfect Christian bubble and not letting them see, experience, know anything about the world, our goal needs to be to move them from an authoritative faith experience to one that's an actual personal faith experience so that they learn how to walk that stuff out while they're still at home for you to be able to guide them and answer questions that it moves from I go to church because mom and dad do because that is my Jesus and I go to church even if dad's homesick. Then when they go to college, the authority, the authority structure changes, but their faith can hold up. Well, this is what Paul's kind of talking about here. He's saying, hey, beware authoritative teaching methods that come your way. They're going to be tempting to draw you away from the foundation that you've been built, the understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And that makes total sense. Amen? You as parents, isn't that important to you? Amen? Like getting that thing locked down so that when they go to college or whatever it is they go to do, that they stand strong. Is that important to you, parents? Five parents and one clapper. So, okay. But for the rest of you, but, but here's the deal. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's not talking about college. Paul's talking about the church. Paul's saying, hey, in the church, be careful. Because teachings might come up in the church. People in the church might have authoritative teaching claims. People in the church might come with an authority that says, this is what the truth is. And if that authoritative teaching style, if that philosophy is drawing you away from your foundation on Jesus Christ and his gospel, don't buy it. He's talking about truth issues that raise up from within the church. And we have this tendency as a church to always have this us against them mentality. It's all the the things outside in the world that are threatening the church. But historically speaking, some of the most biggest disasters in church history took place from within. It wasn't because of the outside, it's because of what's inside. Because people didn't know their Bible. Because people weren't standing on truth. People weren't trusted in Jesus. And all sorts of other motives and ideas and philosophies came in and train wrecks developed. And Paul's saying, I don't want to see that happen. I want to see you guys stand firm on your foundation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on into the next one, which is even more interesting to me. Be careful, he's saying. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Then the second one's empty deceit. Empty deceit, which literally means without point or benefit. Which at first thought you would think, why would I ever fall for a teaching that comes to me that's without point or benefit? That seems just dumb. Of course I'm not going to do that. Well, it, Satan is sneaky. It's craftier than that. It's more subtle than that. Now the, these again, remember, he's saying, Good arguments. 
So don't immediately go, when a dumb argument comes my way, I'm going to ignore it. He's saying, no, there are crafty arguments that seem to have an element of truth in them. They might mention Jesus or they might say some Christian things that give just enough element of Christianity to it that you give it a pass. But be careful, church, because some of it is empty and vain deceit. Or in other words, empty without point or without benefit. I'll give you a great example. Let's keep picking on my childhood today. Shall we do that? Um, And please... Please, those of you that know my mom, don't remind her to listen to the podcast this week. Anyway, when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, um, Christianity in general in America went through um, a kind of a movement that was really focused on um, practical, pragmatic issues. Um, And so what happened is, is within the church, people honestly, like this is church history stuff you can study. People got away from teaching about God and his character and the true gospel and Jesus and what he's done. And you guys know, by the way, this whole book, no matter what part we're reading, whether it's about marriage or parenting or sex or any of that stuff, this whole book is about God. Amen? This whole book is not about us. Please know that. Please don't make your primary approach to the Bible going, what's this for me? The Bible is telling us about God. It's declaring his glory, his grace, his majesty, and what he has done in his love for you. And then everything else comes or flows from that primarily. But the church in the 70s and 80s went through this sort of pragmatic movement and everything kind of became about us. And one of the uh, things that developed out of that has been referred to, I heard it, I heard it referred to this way, which I think is funny, as combination sermons. And what I mean by that, I don't mean combination pizza in that there's lots of different things all thrown on the thing. Think combination like a safe. And so the idea would be like this. If I'm here and I'm preaching in that day and I'm preaching to you guys a sermon about how to deal with doubt and fear in the Lord. Well, I might write this combination sermon that would say, here's what you do. Grab your Bibles. Turn, if you would, to Timothy. And there's what it says about doubt and fear right there. Now turn back, if you would, to Psalms. Look what the Psalm says about this right there. Now let's turn back over here. And the idea is you've you got your seven steps. Seven steps to dealing with fear and doubt over here, then back over here, and then back over here. And the idea is at a certain point, click, oh, it unlocks and you never have to deal with fear and doubt anymore. Was that your experience when you heard those sermons? Now, here's what actually happens. You can memorize all those steps. And they're they're Bible verses, good to memorize, amen? But you can memorize all those steps and you can go through all that stuff But if you do it apart from the grace of God and the gospel, without an understanding of who God is and what he's done in your life, about his power, about the power of the Holy Spirit that's implanted in the believer to empower them to even do those things in the first place, if you teach a seven-step sermon about assurance and hope and all that kind of stuff to someone apart from the power of God in their life to bring those things to bear, it's not going to matter. In fact, here's the imprisonment carried away into slavery. In fact, it actually pushes them deeper into slavery to fear and doubt. Because they just go, well, I tried it and it didn't work. And man, that's what the pastor said. It's what the Bible says. So I don't have assurance in God. He doesn't care about me. And that's the exact opposite of what the gospel is intended to do. It's intended to liberate you and to bring you to freedom, not lead us to a place where we go, I tried this and it didn't work. 
Bible teachings apart from the gospel and apart from the Holy Spirit, and especially as Paul's teaching in this context, that are not built on the foundation of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done in your life, Bible teachings done in that matter, they are empty and they are vain because they don't deliver to you the power to actually do any of the things you're actually talking about. And they lead you to further enslavement because it's all about you. It all ends up being, this is what I do. I can deliver myself from that difficulty if I do these things. I can make my life better if I do these things. And it sounds right and it sounds spiritual, but it's not the intended thrust of scripture. Because the truth is, is there's a lot of things we might do right all the time, but the Bible makes it clear life's just hard. And in this world, we will have trouble. And there's all sorts of things that might come against us, but the point of the Bible is to keep us relying on Jesus, whether those things ever go away. And to point us to what Jesus has done in spite of our fears, in spite of our doubts, and in spite of our worries. You get to that place first if you want to see changes happen in someone else's life. Amen? So this is what he's talking about. Empty, vain teachings that lack the power of God. Don't go there, church. So what else does he say? Philosophy, empty deceit, and then according to human tradition. So human tradition, meaning extra, let me try that again extra biblical traditions um, that no matter how religious they may seem uh, that are not built on the framework of the gospel and and the Holy Spirit and Jesus's power in your life. So um, the idea would be um, you need to be doing this. These are the traditions, the man-made traditions. These are the things that we need to do and, and somehow upholding them just as important or even more important than the foundations of our faith. Like I said, let's just keep picking on Jeff's upbringing. So when I think back, I went to Merriman Avenue Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. I love that church. I'm thankful for that church. That church built a foundation for me in so many ways. Um, but there were also so many things that I learned growing up through that church that I had to unlearn. Like um, old scales of legalism that had to be pulled away. You guys know the Chronicles of Narnia thing where, where Aslan, the Jesus character, he's clawing away at the dragon to pull the scales away. Like there was a lot of that in, t- in terms of that sort of religious legalistic upbringing that I had to sort of unlearn because I was trapped in this specific way of thinking. It's so when I think back, um, the, the teachings I probably remember the most or with the most clarity were usually when I was in high school. That was the last period of time I was there before I went off to college. Um, and I can remember that the, there's the sanctuary and then there was the education building, third floor, all the way down at the end. That was the youth room. And I remember being in that room down there with the different pastors, Pastor Sam, Pastor Tony, the different pastors we had during my time as I was there. And um, I, when I think back of all the teachings, they were all sort of the same. Different topics, same overarching theme. And the idea was, get better, get better, get better. And so we had teachings about uh, rated R movies. I remember teachings about um, Satanism and horror movies. I remember teachings about drugs. I remember a million teachings about sex. Um, all of that sort of stuff. And, and maybe the one that I remember the most, that's also sort of the most ludicrous today. And this could be because I'm super into music, like I'm a music person. Um, but I remember all the teachings about secular music when I was growing up. And, and here's what I remember. I rem- it was so ridiculous. Do we, did, did any of you guys in here remember backward masking? We've talked about it before. It's been a long time. Some of you are like, yes, I remember that. Oh my gosh. It's probably the dumbest thing that the church has ever bought into, um, at least in the modern history of the church. It's 
dumb. And the, the philosophy is this. You've got records, black, you know, flat things, young people that music used to come off of. And um, the idea was that you could put these records. Remember the record players, guys? You always remember that, right? Remember your parents are always yelling at you, lift the needle straight up. You'll break it straight up. And you all that. Anyway. We're killing my childhood today. Anyway, so um, the belief was, or the teaching was, with backward masking, was that you put these records on there, and if you spin them the other direction, so you're playing the record in reverse, then it was filled with satanic messages. And Which is so silly to think about how music in the 80s, um, backwards, like they had encoded in satanic stuff in the music backwards. Because let's just be honest, most of the 80s artists, they could barely write anything in forward, right? So, so, so somehow all of these guys are in reverse putting Satanism into their records and all this kind of stuff. And, and it was just, it's been so completely discredited ever since. But I still remember, like, when, when I look back to my upbringing in church, that's the stuff I remember. And, and this is what it is. Yes, Jesus Christ. Obviously, my church loved Jesus. Obviously. But we moved off that foundation. And we taught all this other stuff. And I don't ever. Now, it could be that I'm a punk or I'm old or whatever the case it may have been when I'm growing. But I don't ever remember any teaching series about what the gospel really is. About upholding the gospel. About the Holy Spirit's power in your life. About any of those kind of things. I remember, be good, be good, be good, be good. Don't be bad, don't be bad, don't be bad, don't be bad. And it was popular with the parents. Right? Moms and dads, oh, they're doing a series on rock and roll music. Perfect. My son will be there every Wednesday night. Like, parents loved it. Did it work? Are we better for that? Did that fix the stuff that we were dealing with? Those of you that grew up in that? Or did it paralyze you and carry you into a form of slavery where your whole relationship with God became determined on how well you were doing all these other things? Instead of an understanding that God completely and totally delights in you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no matter what music should come into your ears, if the spirit of God has been placed within your heart, you are saved and loved and forgiven. That's what I would have loved to have heard. And man, that was transforming when, I, when it really sank in. And Paul's saying, look, don't elevate human traditions as if they're somehow on the same plane as the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not even in the ballpark. What we need to elevate is Jesus, not human tradition. We need to elevate the gospel, the cross, the resurrection, his sinless life, the understanding of the word of God, not wasting all our time on whether Led Zeppelin wrote something backwards or not. Elevate Jesus. That's what Paul does in this book. It's all about him. So vain human traditions, and then the last one, elemental spirits of the world. We are um, grandchildren of the Enlightenment. And, and what that means is, is our culture today, we are all about the measurables. We want real, tangible things, things that can be proven, scientifically proven, measured, touched, stuff that's real right in front of us. Stuff that's not, uh, we don't, we don't want to cling to that too tightly. Um, and that, that can happen in a whole lot of ways. Like, and in particular, what Paul's talking about here, elemental spirits. He's speaking about a demonic world, about a spiritual demonic world that has an absolute effect even on these false teachings that are coming into the church. And so because we're more postmodern and we're definitely more enlightened, um, 
we tend to shy away from some of those things. C.S. Lewis actually said that there's two great mistakes that Christians make with regards to um, the demonic and the spiritual world. The world. The first is is that you can pay too much attention to it. So you become that person where everything's a demon. You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen that person? Like you're in the grocery store, someone cuts you off in line and you're like, ah, I exercise the demon of rudeness from this person right in front of me. You know what I mean? You're like a Christian ghostbuster carrying around holy water and super soaker guns. And you're just going to take everybody and like everything's a demon. Any fallen, anything that affects you is a demon. Um, Or that can look even a little more differently. That can be something where you're being drawn into a sort of morbid curiosity about just darkness in general. So much so that that's the thing for you. You're focusing on that. You're, you're meditating on that. You're digging into that. And, and C.S. Lewis said, hey, that, that's kind of a mistake. I mean, we need, to, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. That's the thing that is to be always held up, to be looking at Jesus. But the opposite mistake of that is to then somehow pretend, C.S. Lewis would say this, that to pretend that it's not true. Like you can focus too much or you can just pretend that it's not true and ignore it altogether. And that is an equally devastating mistake. And what we can tend to do is that pendulum can swing away because maybe we've seen the lunacy of some of that and we don't want to get labeled as like Christian Bigfoot hunters. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he's one of those guys, like that's that TV show we all watch, but we don't tell anybody we watch. They keep putting them out there so people are watching Bigfoot shows. Let's all face it. But, but that's the way we tend to paint elements of the demonic world as if it's like Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and Satan. They're sort of mythical. They're sort of mysterious. Maybe they're real, maybe not. Um, but it, it gets el- or, uh, regulated or pigeonholed into sort of the wacko territory. And that's just, that's a mistake. The Bible's really clear about the warfare that exists, spiritual warfare. I'll tell you guys a, a story I told last service. When, when I was, um, years ago, I was delivering Thanksgiving baskets for, um, well, Thanksgiving. <laughs> I was delivering Thanksgiving baskets. Um, and in it, there was like a ham and some canned goods and some toys for the kids and all this stuff. I was with Justin Keylock, who goes to the church. He's one of the fire, deputy fire chiefs in town. And um, the two of us were doing deliveries. And we went to this house. I'll never forget this house. I still remember the story every single time I drive down Columbus Avenue. Um, this one house over there, we pulled into the driveway and we go inside. And uh, there was a single mom in there. She was very young. Um, she was super agitated, super nervous. My guess at the time is that there was some drug issues going on. Probably she was really jittery and all that. Um, but she was being really nice. And she was really excited that we were there. And so we had all this stuff and we're getting out. I mean, we're all just, it's like this warm, fuzzy Christmas vibe going on. And we're unpacking the stuff. And it was great. Um, and then as we're finishing up and her kids are kind of running. There's like three or four of them. I don't remember. And, and she's super grateful and super thankful and just being really, really sweet. And, um, and so we're there and we're kind of done. And I was just like, well, um, Hey, so before we go, can we pray for you and the kids? And I'm telling you guys, look, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that Uber weirdo stuff, spiritual. Like I'm, I'm telling you something changed drastically in the room. The moment we asked that question. She, in a moment, went from like, I mean, again, jittery, nervous, and there's all, all kinds of things. It could have been anything from, from mental illness to drug, who, who knows? But her face went from sweet and joyful to like a grotesque fear and horror, like that. I mean, gro- eyes as big as could be. And she was hiding her kids behind, literally with her hands like this, hiding her kids from us. And the moment we had asked that question, when it happened, she went, no, like deep, full on movie kind of thing, no. 
And we're just sitting there like, I mean, every hair on my head is standing up just like, what just happened? And so we're like, okay, um, well, Merry Christmas. I hope you guys have a great holiday. And, and we kind of walked out and we got in the car and we're just sort of sitting there for a second. I was like, Justin, did you see that? And he's like, am I blind? Hard of seeing? Of course I saw that. Are you kidding? And then he goes, look, 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 look. And I look up and she's at the window of the house. The curtains are down. The curtains are drawn. And she had the curtain just peeled back just enough for her face to be there. And she looked terrified, terrified watching us sit in the driveway and was waiting for us to get out of there. Now what happens in many cases is our instinct is to instantly jump to the natural world and go, oh, well, it was probably meth. You said jittery, sounds like meth. It was some sort of drug. It was some, she had a bad experience as a kid and some sort of PTSD kicked in, whatever the case may be. Um, but it, even if it was drugs, you go talk to some godly people who have come through drug addiction and hear some of the spiritual battle stuff that took place in and around them as they were fighting with that kind of addiction. The spiritual world, demonic oppression, all those things are absolutely real. And here's the thing we have to realize Paul's saying here. Paul's talking about false teachings in the church, and he's saying that's the fuel. The teachings that exist to pull you off of your dependence on Jesus, off of the foundation of Jesus Christ, who he is, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The momentum behind them is a demonic fuel, is what he's saying. And he's saying, watch out for it. In the church, there can be those in the church. Heritage, there can be those in the church that, that literally Satan would use to bring your teachings to bear to deceive other people within the church. In fact, in this church, I have a list of names. <laughs> you got, thank you. You laughed way better than first service. I think they were scared is what happened. I think they were just like, am I on that list? <laughs> but this is the reality. Look. We always want to worry about the attacks from the outside. But it doesn't take much study of church history to realize that some of the greatest tragedies that have happened within the church have actually come up from within. And Paul's saying, watch out for this. Watch out for this, man. Watch out for these dictatorial teachings that want to pull you away from Jesus. Watch out for empty deceit that doesn't give you the power to do what the teaching is calling you to do. Watch out for human tradition and all the things that we do from God or for God instead of understanding what God did for us. And watch out for these things are being done according to elemental spirits of the world. And you go, well, but Paul's just another teacher. So, of course he's saying that. He's trying to get his teaching out there. He's trying to hold his teaching out there. But here's the thing. The thing that separates Paul's teaching from everybody else's, like, Paul's not the postmodern guy who's just trying to stir up questions and leave us nothing to stand on. The whole point of the book of Colossians is to elevate Jesus Christ and say Jesus is better. Jesus is better than your seven steps to assurance. Jesus is better than focusing so much on not listening to secular music because that's what's going to make God happy. Jesus is better than all of these things. Morbid curiosities into the demonic world. Jesus is better. 
He is the king. He's going to go on to say, as we'll get into in verse 15, he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to shame. He is infinitely better than all of those things that would want to come in and pull us apart, cause division, attack the teaching in the church. And he's saying to the church, to the Colossian people, he's saying, listen, church, you want to be able to deal with this when that stuff comes? Be rooted in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Grow, be established, know the foundation, study to show yourselves approved unto God. Yes, we are gardeners who love everybody, but we also need to be guardians who understand the reality of these are things that are dangerous, not just to me and my walk with God, but to affect the rest of the flock here. And we need to be able to point those things out. And he says, the way that you do that is you are to be rooted and established in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything taught by the church needs to be according to Jesus. Everything. Any teaching that comes out of the Bible that's not pushing you back to Jesus, don't listen to it. It's self-help. Certainly don't esteem it. Jesus is the one to be esteemed. And I even thought about this. Like when you think about these teachings and these philosophical systems that, that can be handed to us, think about how Jesus taught his disciples. You ever think about what he really taught them? Like if you could summarize what that philosophy was that Jesus gave the disciples, he had 12 guys, he called them around him and he just over and over and over said, it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. And he was constantly calling them into the dependence on him and his power and his work and his gospel, the same dependence that Adam and Eve walked away from in the garden. That's what he was calling them back to. It's called reconciliation. He's reconciling all things to himself. And so church, I think Paul would say, maybe, maybe to use a little more of our modern terminology, he would say, hey church, you've been born again in Jesus, grow up. Know the scriptures, know who he is, know his word, know that all of these things are about him so that when anyone comes, even if they're using a vein of spirituality that seems Christian, if they're not bringing you back to Jesus himself, you know it. You can point your finger at it and you can walk away from it. And that will bless the church. That will bless God. That will build healthy members. Amen? We're going to take an opportunity here in just a couple of minutes as we close. Sam's going to come up and, and close us in song. And, and here's what I want to do because it'd be really easy to just give that teaching, just say amen. But then in a certain way, all I've done is give you another authoritative teaching. Though it's pointing to Jesus, I've just given you another authoritative teaching and sent you on your way. What we do know is this, it's more about, we, we don't follow a philosophy. You guys understand that? The, the, the point, the center of Christianity is not a philosophy, it's a person. And he calls us to personal relationship with him. He invites us through prayer and worship to, to be with him, to, to be close to him, to draw close to him. And so I just want, I think it would be a shame and really antithetical to the actually teaching we're doing right now if we weren't just to take a moment and just, just be with him. Just turn to him again. Say, God, help me to know you. Help me to grow in you. Help me to, to be so familiar with you, Jesus, that anything that comes my way that's not of you, I'm going to know right away. Help me to be so ingrained in you and that he might be so elevated in our eyes that nothing else could ever ca catch our attention. Nothing could ever be beautiful enough to draw us away when we have Jesus. Amen? So let's pray. Father, 
In just these couple of minutes we have left, I pray, God, that your spirit would move in this place. If there's areas of our life where we need to be reoriented, that we're back um, focused on you, Jesus, may you draw us there. If there's people here who don't know you at all, Lord, will you work on their hearts? But I pray, God, that you would be lifted up in this place as we sing. You would be lifted up in this place as we pray and that you'd be lifted up by our lives as we go and share the gospel with those around us. May you be glorified and lifted up in Jesus' name.